Welcome to the Humans of Hospitality podcast with me, Mark Cribb, and this is another special sort of coronavirus uh, edition, by which I mean I'm catching up with a previous guest just to find out how they're coping and what their thoughts are with the current scenario. And I really hope you'll enjoy this chat with Mitch Tonks, who's from Seahorse and Rockfish, and a, and a really good guy uh, in our industry. And although we talk about uh, the challenge that we had and uh, you know when the coronavirus impact was becoming clear in our sector and when hospitality in essence got closed down, we focus a little bit more in this one about how we come out the other side and what that support might look like, what we might need you know, from the government and how we can all get ourselves into the strongest position as possible to start trading again uh, and what that might look like and when it might look like depending on the time of year. We also have a little bit of a chat about the, uh, the business interruption loans and, and the sort of level of debt that we you know will and won't be willing to get into to trade out of this scenario and a bit of a chat on an idea that came up when I was chatting to JD from Street Feast around uh, the government perhaps being an insurer of last resort and how they might be uh, able to assist and fortunately we end on a positive note with Mitch sort of confident of how he will ultimately uh, trade out of this and things will get back to some level of normality for his business in the future so really hope you enjoy the episode uh, in the absence of my own business to support these podcasts I'd be really grateful I'd love to keep them on the air but we no longer have the finances to do so through uh, my personal uh, venues but we are now on Patreon so if you go to patreon.com forward slash humans of hospitality um, if you can make a donation so that we can continue to be the voice of the independent hospitality sector in the UK and have these kind of conversations it would be hugely appreciated okay thanks so much and I hope you enjoy the episode Mitch Tonks, thank you so much for sparing some time. I know how busy you are because we've been trying to organise this for a few days, but thanks for joining me today. How are you? I'm really good, Mark. Thanks. Very good. You know, surprisingly amongst all of this. Yeah, that is uh, that is really good news. Congratulations for staying sane. Um, can you just tell me, I guess, when you became aware, because you and I were chatting, gosh, even even I think maybe a week or so before this really kicked off, I came over to your uh, restaurant. You just launched your latest venue in Pool. We were sort of coming into summer. It was all looking pretty exciting and pretty rosy. Uh, and we're now in a very different world. How, how quickly could, did this happen? And when did you sort of, was there a trigger where you realized this was about to hit? Well, it, it was interesting because uh, only about, I think, I'm, I'm guessing five weeks ago, four weeks ago, maybe, I had a board meeting in London and I added COVID-19 to the agenda. And we had a general conversation about it. We were sort of thinking, oh, this is now starting to become a little bit more uh, of a risk than we imagine it should be. By Monday, that was on a Friday, by Monday morning, I was having conversations with Will Beckett, who's our chairman, which was... We need to get a response, response from Antigua pretty quickly because this thing is potentially going to kind of blow up. So we, you know, internally, I kind of had this plan together, which was quite simple. You know, we're going to close for a couple of months. We're going to pay everyone. Of course, we'll be open by the summer. And okay, as painful as it's going to be, that's going to be fine. And we spent a lot of time, you know, putting this plan together, how we're going to execute it, all the rest of it. You know, talked to all my got a brilliant ops team and a great exec team around me. We all came up with this plan. That was and, uh, and I remember it was on, uh, I think it was on like um it was i spoke to will in the morning and will said listen what i just got to caution you that whatever you're thinking just dial dial it up just don't have any optimism in you at all just like you just need to really think about it mate. and it was on that that day i went home that must have been a monday because on the tuesday morning i i remember sitting there on a monday evening having a glass of wine sending an email out to my board 
and just basically telling them we're closing on Friday. That's what we're doing. So it must have been around about the 16th, 15th or 16th. I said, we're closing on, on Friday. I said, this thing's, uh, this thing's getting bigger and bigger. And, uh, and so we closed and we called it right because obviously um, it was mandated then by, um, by Friday, on that Friday that we... Yeah, I was going to say that's the same day, isn't it? We, we were trying, and it was difficult morally to know what to do. We were trying to stay open until the Sunday because it was Mothering Sunday and we had so many people booked in and we really wanted to try and get one last weekend of cash in. But you'd already called it to close we, before it was announced. It and I just thought, you know what? I don't want to wait until I'm told to close. I want us to, I want us to lead the way and I want us to do it. You know, this is coming. And yeah. what we've got to do is to do it. And of course, what happened then was uh, that really just started the ball rolling about uh, how on earth are we going to do it? And what we decided to do was, look, it's the 20th. Let's just pay all of our staff up until, uh, well, we told all our staff before that, look, we're going to pay to the end of March. Everyone's going to get paid no matter what. Because at that point, we had no, no idea of the JRS. We had no idea how this was going on. We, you know, our staff were our most important asset. And then, of course, you know, we get the JRS, which is, you know, I have to say, was is fabulous support for the industry. Um, and we've then just been trying to work out how to access it, what to do with it, you know, which people would be on furlough, which people aren't, you know, it's a whole new language we're having to look at. And really, I just feel like we, you know, we're taking the business and we, we have to kind of think about it in terms of how do we press pause and then get the business through to a place where we can press play. And in the middle of all that, we have suppliers, landlords and staff to take care of. And we have to make sure that this business survives. So that's really how we've been approaching it, just to make sure that, you know, Rockfish does survive, we protect our jobs and we come out the other side as a thriving business. Um, that part's easy, I think, the closure part. I think the part that really worries me more than anything is how do we go from businesses that are having this level of support from government to businesses that may not have that level of support at a time when trading is undoubtedly going to be volatile. suppliers aren't going to be supplying people like they used to with terms because everybody is going to be squeezed from every direction so whichever way we look at it for me the most volatile period is the recovery how do we get back on our feet we are going to need the same level of support while we get back on our feet and you know there's all sorts of other points in the middle like how can a landlord charge you rent for a property that you can't even access, yet alone trade there from there? So there's a, you've got all those kind of discussions to have with your team, your landlords, your, all your stakeholders. Uh, it's a minefield, Mark. I think it's... Uh, yeah. We, it, it, I, I think we flipped, didn't we? Because I was probably similar to you. I'd, I'd made the same commitment to my team and I was like, right, I'll pay you to the end of March. And this was, uh, as you say, before the retention scheme. And it was quite emotional because I felt, you know, that I, literally that's your last paycheck. And I, I didn't know uh, what was going to happen to them after that. So there was that utopia of Rishi coming out and saying, right, you know, we'll look after your team, which is great. But I do feel that we're all having this kind of, yeah, flipping our mindset now to, to having done everything we possibly can to batten down the hatches to go, right, how do we reopen? And I guess the big thing for you and I in that sense is this when do we reopen? Because you, I believe, like me, I'm presuming your trade is very seasonal, uh, being down in the southwest. Is that correct? Yeah, completely, Mark. I mean, we have, um, you know, we make 90% of our EBITDA in seven months. And uh, so we have, you know, five months of the year that are, that, are, that are pretty low. We budget for them. And and naturally, that's what happens. We have a lot of very, very loyal local trade um, that we love to serve and love to do. But if we have to open our business, you know, I mean, if, if this is going to go on for six months i mean if there's not going to be any summer bounce or any any move back towards restaurants 
then it does beg the question, you know, how are we going to get through the winter and and reach the other side? Um, I'm pretty confident that we'll be able to do it. But I think government need to be seriously lobbied uh, about how they're going to help businesses back on their feet because it's great helping them or it's not, you know, in this particular time. But for me, this is not the most volatile time. Calculating how long your burn time is and your burn rate and getting your cost down to nothing is just is just maths. The bit afterwards is, are people going to be economically and emotionally feeling like they can go to restaurants? Uh, maybe people just so desperate to go out, they all go to restaurants, and that would be our, our, our belief. But we can't open businesses hoping that everybody's going to flock through the door on day one because they've been missing us. Um, I think there's going to be a whole mix of things in there. Is social uh, distancing um, going to be an on-off thing? You know, one minute we're we're open, the next minute we're kind of closed. I mean, you know, all of this stuff is uh, is going to be affecting us, and that's that's going to be our problem, Mark. I think. Yeah, I, I guess that's you know sort of my uh, presumption. I suppose is that there'll be some sort of staggered release, and maybe outside terraces, you know, will be allowed to open first, and, and anything we can get in in July and August is probably useful. But yeah, it, it would feel sort of unlikely, I guess, that we're just going to press the button and everybody instantaneously is going to go back as they were uh, and go out as they were. Um, you, you, before we come into sort of I don't know what, you know, what we can do, and, and rents is a biggie. This sort of idea of getting your cost down for anybody listening who's kind of you'd like to think that by this point that they've they've done all of this but what did you do from a from a sort of perspective of cutting costs what are the what are the key things that you've been able to strip out the business and i suppose what's left what can't you cut i think the thing that we we decided to do was that you know until we have full access to government funding in terms of grants um bank debt uh the jrs and everything else we literally just said look we're going to put a pause on everything we we, we have to be in a position uh that we have cash and facilities because once while we still have those we have choice when you don't have those you have no choice and i'm pretty certain that all of our landlords suppliers and staff would much prefer this business to or our business to survive and we all thrive together the other side rather than this is a business that's on its own and got into trouble and therefore you know tough luck basically this is a situation we all find ourselves in and what we did was just literally stop everything that we uh, knew we could go back and speak to people about. We have great relationships with all of our stakeholders, um, but we spoke to all the landlords and said, "Look, we just we're just we're just not paying anything until we understand what's going on." Um, they naturally got their own positions to look after. We had mixed responses, but you know, again, survival has to be the key, um, and and our staff and our people have to be the key. Um, you know, they're they're. They, they need to be well looked after. Um, I think once we uh, know what's happening, I think we'll be in a position then to form a much more informed plan that will be everybody will like. But until you know exactly what's happening, how to access all this funding, we're just guessing. Mm. One of the biggest ones there, this this channel, I guess, is this uh, you know the rents, the leases, and this forfeiture moratorium was uh, you know a bit of a lifesaver in the fact that it gives us this three months breathing ground, I guess, to try and negotiate uh, a, a way of coming out of it. What's your feel on um, how quickly we can get back into paying rents, and is this one of the things that you think the government is going to need to offer some ongoing support because it it, it doesn't feel like any of us are going to come out of this just being able to pay 
the backdated rent. But for, for people, again, you know, in coastal towns where we rely on the summer, we're not going to be able to pay rent going into next winter. Have you, have you thought about what sort of level of support or how you can manage that? Or are landlords going to play game? Can they even play game and reduce their rents? It, it was interesting, Mark, because I, I really just looked at this and said, you know, we're going to be in for a six-month period. That was before I started considering what happens after the six-month period. And I just was very blunt with all our landlords and said, look, can we have a six-month rent-free period? And what was what was really brilliant is they all came back and said, look, we really want to help you. However, you've got to understand most of my landlords aren't these big, you know, Soho and Mayfair landlords. We've just got individual people that own the buildings. And, uh, and most of them were just sort of saying, look, we also have mortgages and businesses to run. So, yes, we want to help, but we've also got our own problems. And so we're kind of having ongoing dialogue about how it might work. But if I'm thinking about it realistically, um, for the period of time that I cannot access my building, it doesn't feel feel legally or morally right that any rent should be paid. That doesn't mean that the landlord um, doesn't shouldn't you know doesn't deserve it. It's in our contracts, but it feels daft to be paying rent on anything that you can't access. You can't trade from it. You can't have any benefit from it. The whole point of our deals are. I will rent you this building so you can run your business from it through no fault of the landlord's own. I can't run my business from it. And from that perspective, I also recognize that landlords aren't evil people. They're just making their money out of property and we make our money out of food and they need help as much as we need help. So either the landlords need some help to be able to offer periods of time to good tenants to be able to operate and get back on their feet for everyone's good or we need help in being able to pay those rents um, at a time when we're not able to be back on our feet. Hmm. Do you think that's going to be from government is the only way we can get that level of support, presumably? Absolutely. I mean, I can't, I can't, you know, out of all this, you know, every single person in every single industry around the country pretty much is, is suffering from the same thing that we've got with, with different problems or, all the way down the line, we obviously seem to be the first hit and the hardest hit. You know, we're such a big, um, a big industry now, and uh, and I think government have recognised that pretty quickly. But I think they're going to have to go further and further. And I, you know, I have to say the level of funding when I work out the the contribution that we're going to get from the from the JRS, you know, is in the millions if it goes on for six months. It would seem mental to give a business that level of support. And then get into the second half of the year and let it collapse and still lose all those three hundred jobs. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. No, I agree. Uh, and also, I think we're going to be, you know, if, if we come out into a very different world from a uh, sort of business level perspective, it's it's great that we've managed to put our teams on furlough. Uh, but I guess we're not going to need all of those teams unless we come back out and and trade it, you know, pretty quickly goes back to previous levels. If it doesn't, it feels the same sort of thing, I guess, is what was the point in protecting all of those people yeah. if we cannot get some longer term support to then keep them through the winter? Yeah, I also think that, you know, all of us, all of us operators, you know, we realise how important our staff are. I have spent, as you have, as every other restaurant group have, building a loyal, fantastic team. They're the people that make those restaurants sing and dance every day in the way that we want them to be. And can you imagine getting to the other side of this in a volatile time and having to get rid of some of those people? because there wasn't enough support open for the business to look them in the eye and say, you've stuck with us. You've been with us for two to three years. You've been awesome. Brilliant. But I'm afraid it's just, that's it. Because, you know, it's not going to be easy to get a job anywhere else, you know, and, and, and you know, that 
I like to believe we're a, a good employer and, uh, you know, I, I think the industry is going to be not like it was where we were all just desperate for people. I think there's going to be more people because naturally there's going to end up less restaurant opportunities and potentially less restaurants. And I don't want to be in that position, Mark. I, I, I want to be in a position where I can, I can run my business back to where it was with the people that I know can build it back to where it was. And to do it, I'm going to need some support from the government to be able to get back on our feet. I mean, if they, if they withdraw this stuff overnight, it would just be commercial suicide for everybody. Any indication? I mean, you're you're pretty well connected. Uh, any indication that the government are recognising this, or are they too buried in the here and now at the moment? Do you think we're going to need to join forces and and lobby as an industry? Yeah, I know there are a number of CEOs that are lobbying uh, government, and uh, I think I think what's interesting on this one is government, banks, industry. We're all having to think on our feet and move quickly. Two weeks ago, nobody was thinking about what happens when we come out of the JRS. Last Friday, we were all just completely elated that we got some kind of support. And we thought, that's 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 great. It's fantastic. We're going to survive. And then when you start considering, hang on a minute, what happens when the tap goes off? You start realizing there's more problems. And I'm sure that at the time, government weren't thinking about that. They were thinking about just this immediate period of time. And of course, self-employed people, everybody's got to be taken care of in this environment. And, uh, and I'm pretty, well, I know that there is, uh, you know, um, will and the uh, hospitality action i think it is i can't remember um which group yeah you yeah uk hospitality i think and and, and yeah, yeah, hospitality. Yeah, i i'm i know there's a lot lot going on with um some of the best ceos in the business that are lobbying government and, and pointing out the, the problems i wrote a paper uh yesterday and uh, sent off my concerns and uh and, and i feel pretty comfortable that this industry is being represented by some pretty intelligent, clever people that will do their best to lobby government for the sakes of all of us. Mm. The, the constant thing that keeps getting wheeled out sort of publicly and certainly from some of the landlords that I've been speaking to uh, is this, uh, you know, there's 330 billion quids worth of BI loans in place for you. Why don't you just go and get one of those? Have you looked into that? And what's your thoughts around the complexity of getting into debt to get out of this problem? Well, that that is one of the one of the big issues, Mark. And we've we've looked at it and said to ourselves, let's just say we borrow X million pounds to kind of you know get through, and, and we do get through. And we're 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 starting at the we're starting at summer next year. We've retained all our jobs. It's brilliant, but our business has had to become substantially indebted to do it, um, albeit guaranteed by the government, which we're grateful for, fabulous, or eighty percent of it. But we still have to, re- our business then over the next year is going to be stif- stifled because instead of being able to open new restaurants, do refurbs, invest in our people, all of our cash is going to go back in paying debt. And you have to ask yourself, in a normal world, would you have a business that was leveraged five times its EBITDA? And the answer is you wouldn't. But that's what's going to happen to businesses the other side. And you have to question is, are they viable? They yeah, and, they and are the banks going to lend if they if they're not perceived as viable on that basis? Are they going to lend anyway? Well, I think that's the interesting one. We we've got a great relationship with our bank. We're having really good conversations with them, and they are also in the same boat as well. Mark saying, "Look, we just don't know." It's like, what sort of numbers do you need from us? I mean, we're you know we're forecasting into a period that we have no idea what that period's going to be like, and so how do how do we get access to this? And I think. You know, I mean, covenant suites, how are all those things going to work going forward? I mean, it's a it's a tough call for every single person 
uh, involved in this uh, decision making, and uh, and I hope that the bank envir- banking environment will be supportive to as many businesses as possible, and it won't turn into one of those schemes where it's just selected businesses that that get support because everybody deserves to be supported. I think through this. Yeah, and and just uh, yeah, the bank's making more money. They've been up for a lot of criticism in the last week. I think about the interest rates being charged, um, but also personal guarantees. I mean, a lot of them were saying any, anything originally all loans, but then they seem to have made it under two hundred and fifty k, no personal guarantee. But a lot of them still asking for personal guarantees over two hundred and fifty k. You're a director of a decent sized company. Would you sign a PG in the in the current sort of uncertainty of how you trade out of this? I wouldn't, Mark. No, I mean, uh, you know, I, I've been caught by that kind of thing before, and I think that. You know, this is this is where the government are giving eighty percent. Maybe the government needs to give one hundred percent. Maybe the government needs to give ninety percent and, and a lot more to um, uh, to do it. And we have to rely on the bank's expertise to be able to, you know, lend the money to the right companies. So, although, you know, I still believe that everybody deserves uh, some support to come out of this. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be signing personal guarantees, Mark. No, and I, but I have to say, we haven't. I have heard people talking about ridiculous interest rates but i've also seen some sensible ones and uh, and there obviously is that interest free period but i mean who knows in all this this is there are so many variables that yeah. you, you you've got to be you you, you I, I just don't know what kind of person would be able to predict what what is what is likely to happen which way it's going to turn and, and every day i have my exec team um we speak it every day at 10 o'clock and we are having more conversations at board level um, you know, once a week, um, I update my board and once a week we are having a kind of, we're having a board meeting so that we can, uh, react to every single detail that's coming out and every single thing that we're throwing up by our own predictions. And I think that's the way you've got to run the business these days. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of work speaking to, uh, solicitors, accountants, you know, insolvency lawyers. I've, I've spent the, the same. Um, one of the other things that's come up, this is when I was chatting to, uh, JD from street Feast, was this idea around sort of insurance and, and, uh, insurer of last resort. I think it's something that came out of, uh, New Zealand when they had the earthquakes. Have, have you heard anything about this? No. So this is where I guess trying to, so normally, you know, in a normal world, if we'd had an issue that closed our business, uh, an insurable risk, our business interruption insurance would have kicked in. And obviously, all of the insurance companies have, uh, have basically said that we're not insured. But one way of uh, maybe avoiding the government being ripped off is to say, well, look, let's presume if this business was insured, and you had an assessor going in to work out, you know, their loss of revenue, and, and quite often, business interruption insurance will cover, you know, some sort of uh, marketing costs or staffing costs to get yourself reset up and get the business back to the point before that insured risk that, that maybe the government can almost be that sort of yeah in last resort insurer and these assessors can go in and look at businesses and, and help in that kind of guise would that make sense yeah i think i i think that's that's that a a way of looking at it um and doing it i mean i, I find the whole insurance thing um unf- unfathomable to be honest with you and um we you know we 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 spent time with lawyers we we've scrutinized we've taken advice we've compared against others everything else and whichever way which way we look uh we're just not insured i just don't understand it mm. 
it's mind blowing, isn't it? And it's not. I mean, at the minute, the, you know, the bank are getting a little bit of, of grief on in uh, on interest, but the insurance company seems to have got away with it so far. Uh, that, which again, that confuses me because surely this is exactly why we have insurance. There was a little period of time, you know, maybe ten days ago, where everybody was saying, "Oh, if, if the government enforce lockdown, then your insurance will kick in." But it, it's just not true. We've all gone back. None of us are insured. Do you think we need to have some sort of uh, yeah redesign of the of the insurance system? Yeah, definitely. I mean. It, it, it's interesting, isn't it? If you'd have said a year ago or six months ago to an insurance company, can I get insurance against a flu outbreak that would close us down for six months? I bet they'd have all said, yeah, I don't see why, why we couldn't insure you against that because it would seem unimaginable that this situation could happen. Yeah. And now, of course, it's happened. I mean, you know, we'll never get insurance on anything like this ever again. Um, because of course, it's uh, it's uh, it's possible. And I, and I think that the, the only... The, there's going to come some good out of this, Mark. I mean, you know, we're, we're, people are enjoying time with their families, re-evaluating, um, you know, what's important, all that kind of stuff. I think some positive impact on environment and that kind of thing that's going to come out of it. And people are cooking more at home and up some parts of the food industry are really, really doing well, which is, uh, which is good to see. Um, I've lost my train of thought now. Um, just the fact that the fact there's going to be some some good stuff coming up back is is that if this ever happens again i think our country will be prepared for it and um you know any first sign of this happening and uh, you know everybody knows what to expect and i think at this particular point nobody knows what to expect or what to do I think there's going to be some investment in the uh, prevention. Now we've seen, I mean, the, the costs of this are just eye-watering, mind-boggling, aren't they? So I think now we'll be investing in, yeah, you know, research and antibodies and pandemics and all the kind of stuff that we've probably cut back on thinking it was so unlikely. So, yeah, definitely prevention has got to be better than cure in this circumstance, I think. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. As as, uh, as Henry Dimbleby said to me this morning, I think it's prepare for war in peacetime is much better, you know. Yeah, rather than- absolutely. Um, yeah. So. Speaking of which, from a timings perspective, the industry looked to be going through some big sort of changes in the last eighteen months. You know, we'd seen some high-profile Jamie Oliver's, um, you know, Coluccio's now, Patisserie Valerie. Um, there seemed to be this concern on on oversupply in the market after a sort of couple of years of VC growth. Do, do you think this is going to be a fairly major reset? And do you think a lot of operators will not come out of this? I, I do, Mark. I think you know, there's a, a lot of past success stories that were once great brands and restaurants that you know overexpanded, private equity owned sold on loaded with debt you know founders not involved anymore so therefore there's no kind of direction and passion the high streets are changing dramatically at this particular time people are getting stuff delivered more than they've ever um had stuff delivered from food to clothing to stuff i mean why would you go back to a high street again you know i mean any of those any of those high street landlords and and uh, and high street restaurants must be um pretty concerned um, about what's going on. I think what will come out is the value of the independent. I mean, you know, I, I said to my guy in our bread shop, what I was, our local baker here, has decided not to open his shop, but if you order loaf, loaf of bread, he'll, he'll bake it for you. He's busier than he's ever been in his life and mm. you're queuing out the door to pick up their loaves. And I said to him, it just somehow feels much better, Dan, that you're um, baking a loaf of bread for me. I'm making sure I come to the baker's twice a week where I didn't previously. And uh, I would just pick up my bread from 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 wherever, and um, and now I feel loyal to you. And I'm, I'm like Dan, when we open, why don't you bake bread for the restaurant, and why why don't we make that work? And I think we're going to find a lot more independence working with independence because we want to help us all back on our feet. 
Yeah, I really do hope that's the case, uh, Mircea. There, there does seem, ironically, in this, and they're trying to change the word, I think, from sort of social distancing to physical distancing, because in many ways we feel more social than we've ever been and that we're recognising how much we need that kind of social interaction. And I really do hope, it was the, the whole point of me launching this podcast was around these amazing humans and this this sort of recognition of all these incredible people who work behind the scenes and if we can support them so it doesn't just become dominated by the sort of uh, yeah fa- faceless uh, chains I guess so I, I hope that is the case yeah I think I think it, it'll be time for us but it, but it, it's going to be a seismic change I think in in the way we do things so my greengrocer we've got two greengrocers in Brixham and I walked past one yesterday morning and uh, he, I don't know his name, he was a lovely, lovely young guy, and he was in there loading up his van with boxes of veg. And, uh, and I said, getting a lot of deliveries done. He said, yeah, yeah. He says, really, really great. And um, he said, but I've always done deliveries. And he pointed to a sign on his wall that says home delivery. And he said, prior to this, I would do four or five deliveries a day. He said, now I'm doing up to 50 deliveries a day of veg. And I'm like, I've walked past that sign loads of times. And I know it says deliveries, but I just didn't know how to do it. I didn't know. It's just not something I'm used to. I buy my bedroom, like walking past or somewhere else. Yeah. I actually thought, why would I ever go to that veg shop again when I know his veg is great and I can just phone up and say, can you deliver parsnips, carrots, onions, all the stuff that I want for tomorrow morning? And I think I think a lot of businesses are going to, are going to do really well out of it because this, yeah. this extra service they've had to provide is actually the service that people are realizing, I want that to be ongoing. Yeah, I do hope that's okay. Talk, talk, talking of which, how many people got in touch with you sort of within the 72 hours of you closing telling you that you should be doing takeaway and delivery? Oh, I mean, I can't tell you. We had loads and loads and loads. And, you know, we haven't ruled it out at this point. You know, I, I think as the as this goes on longer and longer, I, you know, was talking to um, all our team this morning saying, look, we've got to start thinking of ways that we can kind of boost the mood. Should we just open a takeaway for a couple of hours to sell some fish and chips? I don't really care that we're not making any money out of it and uh, some takeaway just to give people something that's nothing that in, in our towns is nothing so here you go here's here's something that you can have uh you know the great british fish and chips to keep the mood up and 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 those kind of things and uh, maybe deliver it to some vulnerable people but the problem is we have to mobilize our fish cutting room we have to mobilize vans we have to get fish in the first place and obviously the fish markets are, um, are pretty limited right now uh, there's a bit of frozen product available to us but you know all of those things and getting potatoes I mean, it's it's complicated in this environment to even do something as simple as that. It really is. I I, I ended up uh, throwing my phone across the room a few times as yet another helpful person told me just to jump into delivery. We all, we'd also done it for a couple of years ourselves. We actually bought a couple of scooters and a car and we set up our own sort of delivery system. And it's it's logistically really challenging. And your team end up you know driving across town three miles to deliver you know 15 quids worth of food and then driving back and they've been gone for nearly an hour and uh yeah it just it's it's a really complicated thing and you're right even more so at the moment it's all right if you can just bolt it on to what you're doing on a day-to-day basis but to actually fire up the kitchens and fire up the deliveries and all the costs involved in that so when it's not just a bolt-on part of the business uh, is challenging but like you we may end up just adding it just to stop us going completely bonkers and to show some support for the community yeah exactly i I think there's just a kind of whole thing about the fact we run really quality restaurants and everything we do is quality and if i can't do it well it, you know in, in peacetime as it were if somebody said here's a good idea and i couldn't do it well i wouldn't do it at all and it's like why would i do it now if i can't do it well now i'm not going to do it well any other time and uh, and i really admire some of the restaurants that have turned themselves over to shops you know the stuff that leon have been doing and and and, and stuff and there's some you know great local restaurants in bristol that turn themselves over to food shops i think that stuff is absolutely fantastic because they're 
you know, they're using their reputations and their sourcing ability to get people amazing food that they never had before, which is kind of helping people through it. And uh, we just don't have anything yet that we feel um, anybody really needs to get them through it. But, you know, I guess watch this space, really. Mm. Yeah, like I've been in touch with the local hospital and said, look, as soon as you are overwhelmed and your team need feeding, I was like, I'll mobilise the kitchens, I'll mobilise the chefs, you know, we're here, we're ready for you. I'm not just going to do it if you don't need us to, but as soon as you need us, you know, please call and we'll jump in and help. Um, same with your guys, you've got sort of an, an army of potential people that could help. Are they, are they getting involved in the community stuff yet or are they just ready in case it becomes necessary? Uh, they are, you know, there's a lot of people volunteered and there's, you know, our guys have just been, you know, amazing. I mean, we've got 200 and I think just nearly 300 staff. And I was, I was incredibly moved when I, I made a kind of a conference call with all our kind of managers and ops guys, uh, and just sort of told them what was going on and that we were closing the restaurants. And I found it really hard to actually say the words we were closing without choking and having to pause and to apologize for being emotional. And it was really hard. And in the same way, I have been incredibly moved at the camaraderie, loyalty, the various WhatsApp groups at each restaurant, head chefs, ops people, keeping in contact with each other, my exec team, you know, the whole lot. You really realize just how amazing the restaurant organization is of this human energy that is just so good. And, 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 I, th- and, and I think this thing, in some ways, has just drawn people together to fight for what they believe in, which is the restaurant they work for or the community they're in, the industry they're in. And uh, and I find that really moving, Mark. I really do. No, I, I agree with you 100%. It's, it's been emotional. You know, when I was telling my team, in essence, you know, that March was going to be their last payday and the number of people that I had getting in touch and saying, you know, thank you and being supportive and completely understanding and asking if they could do anything and offering to work for free. And uh, yeah, it was the only time I welled up really was was every time that I'd start talking about the 100 odd people we employ i did a little uh, a video that was just go, supposed to go to the team uh, which i ended up putting out publicly but uh, yeah i end up welling up in that so if you've not seen it yet mitch i'll send it over to you and i think we yeah, all shared those kind of emotions do that mark i mean those things are um as i say i'm i i'm i i feel for everybody in our industry and uh you know i know will at hawksmore has been you know helping several businesses by sharing information he's he's got a team of people working on stuff it's been great with us and i know others too and I've had calls from other restaurateurs that have asked for my input or advice on something and vice versa. I've called others to ask what they're doing about stuff as well. And I think that it's when you realize in this situation, what an amazing industry we have, what an amazing bunch of people. And, uh, you know, I can't imagine retail businesses phoning each other or um, factories phoning each other. And, uh, you know, how are we going to get out of this and doing it? It'd just be very cold blooded, you know, that's it. Yeah. Get rid of the staff. We'll just get some more, more in when we need them kind of thing. And, uh, and this humanity that exists in our industry is just wonderful. Yeah, I think so many customers or and, and suppliers who also, you know, use us as customers, you know, they have birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, uh, social gatherings, parties in our venue. So they, they have this emotional connection to our spaces that you don't get from where you go and buy some pants or a pair of jeans. So I've been completely overwhelmed, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people getting in touch and other business operators whose businesses maybe haven't been affected so much getting in touch and sort of saying, look, if there's anything we can do to help, you know, for free, then they will do so. So I think people have a real connection with their local sort of restaurant that you don't get in other industries, which has been, yeah, you like I say, good comes out of these bad things sometimes. So it's been quite humbling. Um, you mentioned earlier, uh, Mitch, that, uh, you know, you were confident that you would come out of this, that the business would come out of it and it would continue to exist. Yet also there's all of this 
complexity and I, I feel exactly the same. I, for some reason, I feel we will come out of it. But at the moment, I cannot see how and exactly what that looks like. What What is it that gives you that confidence and that faith that you know you are going to come out of this on the other side and that people will be sat on your terraces, hopefully in the not too distant future, having a nice icy cold beer and watching the sunset? I think there's a few things. I think human ingenuity will find a way through this and at some point this will this will end um my own resilience and complete i I, i'm just not giving up i don't care i will find a way through this because i absolutely totally believe in the seahorse its point of it you know the, the reason why it exists and its point and its place in the community is important i think that rockfish is you know, part of people's experience coming down to the seaside to eat seafood will never change when we come out the other side. And I still want that opportunity to be there for people. And I still want it to be in a business. And I, I totally believe it. And I think it's on that basis that whatever is thrown at us, however big, however challenging, however diff- difficult, I've got people around me and this, I've got an incredible exec team, fabulous FD, Matt, who's worked with me for 20 years, Dave and Laura. Um, they won't give up either. And, you know, there's been times over this last, you know, even week where I've had very deep, dark moments where I'm having conversations in my board and coming off those calls thinking, bloody hell, you know, listening to everyone's opinion about how long it goes on. And all those people have helped pick me out of it. And you think with with the support and the resilience, nothing is going to stop us, nothing. And that's why I think we'll come out the other side. Well, I think that is a, a suitably optimistic uh, place to end our catch-up, Mitch. So, look, thank you so much for speaking so candidly and some, so openly. I was really, you know, looking forward to you catching up just on a human level, let alone on a business level, because you're a, you're a good guy in the industry. So, uh, yeah, thanks for sharing your story, and uh, let's keep in touch. And, and hopefully, things will be a little bit clearer in the next month or two about how this does end. But thanks. Thank you, Mark. It's always lovely to chat to you. It's a great work. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. All best. Thank you. So there we have it. Wonderful to catch up with Mitch. I do thoroughly love Mitch as a good egg of the hospitality sector, uh, you know, doing the right thing for the right reasons and trying to keep his business afloat. So thank you so much for joining me. Really hope you enjoyed our conversation. Uh, I've got a few more people booked in uh, over the next week or so to have a catch up some of the previous guests. So hopefully you're finding uh, this style of sort of shorter uh, episodes specifically around what people are doing and coping with with what's been happening uh, in recent times useful um, if you are and you'd like to support it uh, once again patreon.com forward slash humans of hospitality or go straight to the humans of hospitality.co.uk website and uh, if you can make a domain donation become a patron and support uh, this podcast it would be hugely appreciated okay until the uh, next time stay safe and uh, we'll catch up with you very soon thank you